<clears throat> the body is not what we think it is. We have ideas about the body, we have beliefs about the body, we have opinions about the body. <clears throat> but the body, and I could say especially in Buddhist practice, is not what we think. So, so I'd like to go through a few of the ways that we conceptualize the body, um, just to name them, because it's helpful to name things so that we become aware of them when they come up. So the body can exist as an idea, you know, that, you know, we can have an idea about our bodies. So, you know, we can have an idea that it's, you know, an, an organism, it's a system. So it's not, it's not that these are false. You know, I don't want to say that this is false. I mean, th these are, it's useful to have an idea about the body or ideas about the body um, and uh, to understand the systems of the body, you know, medically, perhaps, physiologically. Uh, but an idea is static, and that's, that's the thing about concepts. Concepts are static, you know, and words that we, when we use words to describe something, it, um, it isolates it, it separates it. So the, the whole idea of language is to separate something so that we can conceptually understand it. So, so, you know, when I say, well, this is a stick, you know, and then we think that somehow it's this thing that is separate from the world from which it emerged and from its uses. I mean, it's, it was a tree, it was, you know, it's, it has within it, you know, sun and rain and you know, human technologies and and uh, the birth of stars, you know, if we go way back to the beginning of life. So, you know, this, this uh, stick, you know, we, we might be able to imagine it, we might be able to have an idea about it, you know, or name it, uh, but that's not what it truly is, it, you know. On a deeper level, on a, on in a in a Buddhist understanding of interdependence, interconnection, and the same with the body. You know, we can have an idea about the body, but that's not when we, when we were present in the body. You know, when we are present in the body. But just going back to your recent practice, or you know, a, a few minutes ago or an hour ago, entering into the body. That's not like that wasn't an idea. That was presence that was an experience the body is not our image of the body so we we may have an image of the body and we may have um, judgments about the image of the body so maybe it's you know too big too small it's uh, it's too old it's you know it's whatever not good enough in some way or too much of something and so 
and so our image of the body is just you know something that somehow we've looked in a mirror and we have uh, this image of the body and and that's not what the body is that's not what you know uh, being embodied is it's not an idea um, it's not an object to be perfected according to some standard. That's another strong um, thing that a lot of people have, strong belief, you know, that you know, people get into yoga, they get into, um, uh, you know, exercise, aerobics, uh, running, um, all kinds of sp- sports, with the idea of perfecting the body, and um, well, it's, it's you know it's uh, <clears throat> it can feel good for the body to become healthier and stronger, but the body, just like the mind, can't be perfected. It's something alive. It's uh, it you know it's um, perfection is an abstraction, you know. Uh, an, an ideal is an abstraction, and there's no body that is perfect. So, um, so we identify with our bodies. You know, we think, well, you know, this is this is who I am, and so, uh, and we we want to project something with our bodies. So maybe we want to project a certain image. Of who we are. Uh, maybe we want to present, project an image which is desirable, or likable, or um, something competent. Or uh, so. So this is not the truth of what the body is. You know, it's these. These are. These are beliefs and and strivings and desires and judgments that we bring to the body and impose on the body. The body as an object of other people's desire. So, is my body desirable? Um, the body, which is a, a context in which we experience pleasant sensations. So, you know... Eating, uh, sex, uh, uh, taking in, you know, the sunshine. So it's not that it's bad to experience pleasure from eating or sex or taking in, you know, the beautiful world. But, but that's, um, it doesn't, doesn't define the body. Um, and, and we probably know people whose preoccupation around the body is a lot about, you know, satisfying desires, um, getting pleasant experiences, uh, projecting a certain look, you know, being an object of desire. So, um, so in, in the context of our practice, um, you know, this this is not this is not where we place our attention and our focus on the body. 
there's a there's actually a, a discourse um, in one of the uh, the early suttas, the discourses of the Buddha, um, called the Magandi, Magandiya Sutta, and um, it's named after the the ascetic, the wanderer Magandiya, and uh, and the conversation that the Buddha had with him. And uh, it reminded me when I read it of, uh, you know, a lot of attitudes that people who are into, you know, kind of the perfection of the body um, have uh, attitudes that they have about their bodies that, you know, well-being and health. He said, he said, well-being, a feeling of well-being and health. He said, isn't this the same as Nibbana? Nibbana is liberation liberation from suffering and and the Buddha said no no that 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 uh, feeling a sense of well-being and being healthy is not the same as being liberated from suffering so because um, even though we may be healthy even though we may have a sense of well-being you know that that's still subject to conditions, which, you know, conditions of life. We don't have the the insight, uh, the the uh, the freedom from from craving and and from uh, a an identification that the self that we have to be a certain certain something. Um, then, then we're not free. So that may not be clear, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going, and uh, it'll 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 come clearer. I hope as we go along. Um, yeah, just to to continue with um, what we think about our body, and and that our body is not what we think. Um, so. Um, Uh, the body, you know, even even if the body is healthy, you know, the body is subject to aging, uh, and the body is subject to illness. So, so this can cause a lot of fear, a lot of agitation. I I was uh, I was actually in hospital um, just a couple of weeks ago because I was having some pain, and uh, you know. It was. It's all okay, and you know I'm. But I, I needed to have tests, and and so um, so I was. I was actually admitted to a hospital, which has never happened to me except when I had uh, when my kids were born, and um, and then you know I was in the maternity wing, so it was a little different. But but yeah, just the the fear, the agitation, the confusion of people who are sick, uh, who are in pain. It's very, very strong experience to to have, uh, and um, is it not still important though to cultivate health? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. So, but I'm talking about, um, you know, for our yes, it is. It's you know, it's. I'm not discounting that, and I, I, I think I said in the beginning, it's not that these are, 
you know, or understanding how the body works and all of that. It's just to distinguish that from the practice of liberation, the practice of awakening. So, um, because you don't have to be, you know, you can practice, you can, you can become awakened if you're, um, if you're, you know, very feeble or old or um, unable to, you know, to run a marathon or, you know, like, so it's, it's something that, that is available <coughs> no matter what our state of health or, or um, energy. It's, it's, good, it's good to practice the Dharma when we're well because it's more difficult when we're sick. And when, and when we're sick, you know, I, my experience was I was very grateful for my practice when I had a lot of pain and, and I was in a difficult circumstance. Yes, so I saw, you know, it, it can create fear and distress. Um, and, um, and also when we're strongly identified, you know, with the body, uh, we become fearful <coughs> as it ages, and we become very fearful of death. Uh, that we think that, you know, if we think that we are the body, that, uh, that this is who we truly are, then, um, then we think that we're annihilated, uh, and um, with the death of the body. So I want to talk about the body uh, in our practice in three ways: that our body is a home, a, a resting place, and the body is a mirror where we can see the nature of our minds. And the body is a source of truth and wisdom. So, uh, so the body is our home. Um, you know, I talked about that a little bit before practice. That, that um, you know, our minds are so conditioned and driven by uh, by what we've been taught as a child, how we grew up in our, you know, our upbringing and. And what have our experiences been, and uh, our the conditionings of our society and our culture, our you know our attitudes uh, that we absorb through the media, through our our culture, uh, our religion. You know these are all conditioning factors and shape how we um, how we experience life, and so. Uh, and and sometimes they condition it, you know, for toward more happiness, and sometimes they condition it toward more stress and suffering. So so the body is a place which, you know, if we, when we rest in the breath, it's a kind of um, a place of neutrality. You know, the breath is for most of us anyway, most of the time is not a, um, an experience of suffering, you know, nor is it an experience of great pleasure. So we're probably not going to cling to the breath, like, oh, that was just such a great breath, mm-hmm. or another one just like that. Mm-hmm. Or, um, or, you know, it, we're probably not going to uh, think, oh, that was a terrible breath, that was, I mean, unless... Sometimes if we have asthma or cold, and then, you know, we might use another object. But, but when the mind 
when we can find a neutral object of meditation, then the mind can rest there, and and it's a kind of a give us gives us a kind of a a space or a place uh, where we can, you know, observe all the push and pull in the mind, which is also embedded in the body. So if we have habits in the mind, they're embedded in the body as well. So if we have habits of worry, um, when we're worrying, when our minds are worrying, our bodies are tense. And 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 different, you know, and, and in and in Pali, uh, the word for that is formations, or uh, sorry, that's English, uh, sankara, uh, and uh, and the the translation is formations. So we have formations in the body, which you know hold those patterns of mind in the body, and um, and so this is why relaxing the body is such a helpful practice. So. So a home coming to a, a way of being present in the body, which is uh, restful, not reactive, neutral, attentive, and um, and relaxed. Um, so we begin that with you know mindfulness of breathing. So just feeling the breath, and then and then we notice when the mind becomes agitated, or we notice the habits of planning. We come back to the breath. We notice that we're remembering something. We come back to the breath. We, we notice we're creating a drama in the mind. We come back to the breath. So we begin to really see the habits of the mind just by this simple attention and, and uh, finding our home base in the breath. And it's, um, it's, it, it teaches, it's a deep practice which teaches us um, a very essential part of our practice, which is renunciation. So renunciation is just a, 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 a fancy way of saying letting go. So when I'm, when I'm renouncing um, the, you know, I mean, we, sometimes we talk about renunciation like there are renunciates, like monks and nuns, but their renunciation, just like our renunciation, is done in the moment because a monk or a nun might be attached to having, you know, all kinds of pleasures. Um, and, and the monk or nun needs to let go of that in the moment. And just as we are may, may feel attached to having all kinds of pleasures, and, and our practice is to let go of that in the moment. And again, I'm not saying that there's anything bad about enjoying a beautiful meal or you know, smelling a flower or looking at the sky and seeing the beauty of that. But it's the drivenness, it's the compulsion, it's the need. You know, so if I have a fancy meal today, do I need to have another one tomorrow? And then the next day, and then the next day. So, you know, these are it's the addiction to pleasure, the addiction to sensory pleasures that, that um, because they're not they're not always available, and they and they don't they can't really fulfill us um, for any in any enduring way. <clears throat> so, also in daily life, we um, we practice uh, we practice in the body, coming home to our body. 
And it's a very simple thing that we do. You know, just um, as, we're pres as we're walking on the street, we feel ourselves walking on the earth. We, uh, we, we're aware of the sounds coming and going. That's a sensory experience. We can, uh, as we're sitting on the bus, we can feel our, ourself, you know, sitting. The pressure of our body being supported by the seat or the swaying of our bodies if we're on the metro or uh, standing on the bus or, or uh, just um, if, we're, if we're chopping uh, vegetables to make dinner, you know, just the feeling, the smells, the sounds, the movement of our hands as we chop. So that's another way of coming home to our bodies. And, uh, and so, you know, we can disconnect. We tend to disconnect from our bodies. When we're walking to the grocery store, we tend to disconnect from our bodies. And, you know, already we're thinking about, you know, whatever we're thinking about. It's something we have to do later or something entirely different. So, uh, so we're bringing our body and mind uh, into uh, focus, into uh, connection, uh, into a, a kind of a, a unity. So, so that there, we're not we're not disconnecting from the body. We're coming home to our body. We're being present in our body. And and we practice this grounding in the body. Also, when difficult emotions arise, so um, this was a question that somebody brought up um, about, you know, well, what about when things that are painful come into our our thoughts, into, and you know, it's it's hard to be with it, and so when we have cultivated this capacity to be present in the body, then we have this capacity to to uh, to open to whatever is arising in our experience in the moment. So you know, I gave the I gave the um, example earlier of of uh, sadness. So um, you know, some years ago, um, about eight years ago. Uh, you know, I had I had a a very painful experience in my life of um, somebody who was very close to me, you know, died uh, unexpectedly, suddenly, and um, and I uh, I felt enormous grief um, at that time. It was I uh, kind of felt uh, like. I don't know, it was almost like energetically I was um, kind of something violent had happened and and I I uh, I was so, so grateful for my practice at that time because I had the capacity to be with my heart so I just really gave my heart my whole attention and um, and uh, I wasn't able to do a whole lot else, you know, at that time for the next little while. I just needed to be with my heart and with the grief that my heart felt. 
and um, and and that felt like I was honoring what happened, and it also felt like I wasn't getting into the story uh, of oh if only, or what if, or why didn't it happen this way, or uh, they should have done something else. You know, it's somebody else's fault. Blaming, blaming myself, blaming somebody else, blaming the person. And, um, but just to be with, this is, this is what the experience is, this is how I'm holding it and present with it. Not holding it in a grasping way, but, but just giving it space, you know, holding it with a kind of space and compassion. And, um, and so, just as I described, you know, when we give our attention to physical pain or to something that's, you know, maybe a sadness that's more fleeting, but, you know, I began to see that even in this intensity, well, you know, over time, sometimes it's not so intense after a while. And sometimes maybe it feels a bit peaceful. And, and then maybe after a while, sometimes there's just moments where joy comes up or, you know, happiness or contentment or acceptance. And so, um, so, so the body, um, the body is a place of grounding uh, when in dealing with, you know, the difficult emotions, the difficult times, uh, you know, the difficult reactions that we may have um, and so so that's why it's so important that you know that we can learn to stabilize and be present in the moment be present in the body <clears throat> so um, so the body is a mirror A bod- our bodies are a, a window into our inner life. So, um, do you ever ask yourself, "How am I feeling right now?" You know, what, what's what's happening? How am I feeling right now? You know, we we're, we sometimes are uh, so kind of uh, into doing, doing, doing. You know, so our bodies are are moving, are action-oriented. We've got to fill, you know, fulfill our list of daily tasks. And do we drop into the body and just, you know, kind of ask an open question like, you know, what is this? What is this? What's alive in me right now? So we may discover that uh, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, is alive in me right now because, you know, it's three o'clock and I'm only this much through a list that's that long of things to do. Uh, and uh, and so we, it's good. It's good to, uh, to hear the body say that, you know. Hey, take a breath. You know, so there's stress. 
you know, do we sometimes ask ourselves, um, how am I feeling right now with this person? Um, I, I discovered at some point in my practice that there were people that I really thought that I should, that I should, there's the should in there, uh, that I should like, or I should want to be with. It's not that there's anything, you know, wrong with me or them that I shouldn't, but I, as I became more tuned into my body, you know, and asked my body, you know, well, how do I feel right now? And I, I, I began to notice that, oh, I, I actually don't feel at ease. There's not a sense of ease, you know. And maybe, maybe it's not about them, maybe it's about me, but, but I, I just really noticing that with, you know, some people, oh, there's not a sense of ease. There was, uh, there's this teacher, um, he wasn't a Buddhist, he, uh, he actually um, did not want to identify with any particular tradition. His name was Krishnamurti. Um, and um, uh, he taught on so many different things. He taught on you know, spiritual life and he, taught, he also taught in a very practical way. Um, and I read something of his once that really struck me. He said, if you're, if you're ever, um, he, he, he set up a school, and, and they were doing a lot of hiring of teachers for the school. And he told the people that he was working with, he said, as you're, as you're interviewing somebody, just ask your body, how, do, how does it feel with this person? You know, how does your body feel with this person? So listen to that. So, um... So, uh, so our body is kind of a mirror or, or a, a window into our inner experience. That, you know, our minds may shut out. You know, our minds may say, oh, look how nicely dressed they are. You know, or they seem so intelligent. They're so witty. You know, like, oh, it's such a good sense of humor, you know. You know, everybody's always laughing whenever they're around that person. You know, I, you know, but... I get tired, you know. <laughs> so my body is telling me that, you know. So, uh, or, uh, or maybe our body will tell us about our own drivenness to always be so funny, you know, or so charming. And, and, and then when we tune into our bodies, you know, we can actually say, just relax, be yourself, you know. You don't have to always be the most charming or witty or brilliant person in the room. I have a question, sir. Uh, I'll oh, just I let me go through and we'll do, we'll do after. So, um, so, uh, so, so this is why, you know, this practice of what's called, you know, mindfulness is sometimes called bare attention. So, and that, and that we're present without judging, without, you know, saying, oh, I shouldn't think that, I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel that, you know. Um, so, but not so much focusing on the thinking, but, but really just on 
what's the, the, the experience in the moment. So we're not caught up in the commentary. And we're not identified with the experience. It's not about me, you know. It's just what's manifesting in the body. So we're bending back the beam of our attention to our inner experience. Mindfulness is bending back the beam of our attention or the the, the shining, the light of our attention to our inner experience. So, So that's a way in which the body is a mirror. The body, you know, can give us, can kind of, even when we don't know what we're what we're feeling. Um, I remember uh, another example of this is um, when I was doing a practice once. I was doing a uh, a two-year course, and uh, and one of the the practices was a contemplation of death, and we were looking as part of the contemplation. We were looking at a corpse, a picture of a corpse, not a real one, but a picture of a corpse which was decomposing. So th- these, this, uh, this, this corpse happened to be um, photographed because uh, it was in India somewhere, and uh, or no, Thailand. It was in Thailand, and this man who was unidentified, people didn't know who he was, and so... So um, uh, the people brought this dead person to the monastery. And in in many of the discourses, the Buddha teaches the monks or the the practitioners to contemplate um, death through going to these different places, charnel grounds in, in ancient India, there were places where the bodies were laid to decompose or, you know, in different places. Sometimes they're eaten by the birds. Um, you know, uh, just... Um, it's They're not all, all buried, you know, as we do in our culture, or burned. And actually watching a, a cremation is another um, experience that that uh, helps us to, to recognize that the body is impermanent. Anyway, uh, I was looking at this picture, and I, my mind felt very clear, you know, and I thought, oh, that's interesting, I, I'm not reacting to this, and so when I t- talked to my teacher about it, I said, no, I didn't have, I didn't have uh, any thoughts about it. I said, but I did notice that, you know, when I felt in my body, it felt kind of anxious, and he said, he said, so there's fear. There's, there's the fear. That's where you can see it. So anyway, a long story, but just to, you know, sometimes we don't, we're not aware of what we're actually feeling, and, um, and we, but we're actually, you know, reacting in the body. And so that's a very, help, very helpful way that, uh, you know, we can get in touch with our feelings. You know, we, we hear this all the time. We're out of touch. So we need to get in touch with what we're actually feeling. And so, finally, the body is a source of wisdom. So, um, 
So by by being attentive in, in this way to the body, we we see I talked about how we see impermanence. So we know it very directly. Where we're keeping our attention in the body, we see that it is something, you know, it's a flow. It's not a thing. It's not a solid thing. It's a flow. You know. So so if I am embodied in my experience, I realize that I am the 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 me or the experience of self, if we can call that relative self, that walked in the door at noon is not the same flow of experience energetically, uh, physiologically, emotionally, that is happening right now. It's a different, it's a different self, you know, so... So we can we can understand it in some relative way as who I am, but it's it's a flow, it's a changing self, you know. And 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 the world also is, you know, we see it changing all around us, and our body changes in response to it. You know, everything's blooming, so we feel the energy of that, and it's different from what we felt in the middle of January. You know, our bodies respond to, you know, the conditions around us as well. And so, so the impermanence of experience, we also see the suffering. So the three characteristics that the, that the Buddha said uh, characterize everything are impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and selflessness. So we see, we see that, you know, when things are pleasant, when we feel good, when we feel happy, when we're having pleasant sensory experiences, that's nice, but they don't last. So if we're counting on that to happen all the time to make us happy, we're, we're going to be suffering. We're going to be in, in stress. You know? And then other experiences are in themselves painful. You know? So maybe illness or, or feeling fatigued. Or, or feeling um, uh, tired, uh, you know, tired, like worn out uh, from doing something over and over again. Uh, physical pain. So uh, there are many experiences that are in themselves painful. So t- impermanence unsatisfactoriness and selflessness so so no self this is kind of you know I touched on this earlier in the talk that you know that that this body this body is completely made up of non-self elements this body is water this body is air this body is food uh, minerals, um, it's uh, DNA, it's uh, this body is you know genetically determined in many ways. Um, so so none of these are a self. There's no way that we, we can um, say that this is mine, that this is me or this is mine or I own this or I control this. 
So if the elements of the body are not me or mine, you know, how can I say that the whole body is me or mine? And yet, and yet, it's something quite mysterious that there is a subjectivity, there is a, a consciousness, there is an awareness, a presence in the body. So can we explore this with a sense of wonder, with a sense of curiosity, like, what is this being alive? Do I know what it is? Do I know what it is to be alive? Do I know what it is to be Daryl? Do you know what it is to be Sarah? <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a continual discovery. I mean, it's something that is amazing every moment if we, if we realize that, you know, who we are is something that's unfolding, that's always new, um, that's changing, and that's not in our control. There, I mean, it's not to say we have no control, but we do have choice. Um, we have, we, but much less than we think. <laughs> so, um, so, and then, you know, the body. I talked about the sankaras, the formations in the body, and uh, and and we are. There's so much that is programmed in our in our bodies, but as we become more aware, more, uh, you know, we, we come to uh, be more free, more able to, to uh, recognize that programming, those reactive patterns, and be with them as they kind of play themselves out without getting pulled into them. You know, that as the noise of that begins to quiet down, you know, we begin, our bodies begin to really b- speak to us. You know, uh, so I, t- I talked a little bit about how, uh, in, in the body is a mirror, about how they're a window into our inner life. But they also can speak to us in more subtle ways of, you know, of sometimes we just need to do something or we need to respond or um, or you know we, we probably you, we've all had these experiences of you know just a thought comes to mind like oh, I need to check that and or I need to call someone or I you know and uh, and so we just you know we just feel that in the body we listen so we learn to listen to the body, and um, and it uh, and it really can become a, you know a source of intuitive wisdom. Um, and um, and so, you know, just attuning ourselves, listening. Uh, Being present in the body, with with and 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 yet at the same time, uh, not identifying with the body as me or mine, and that's that's a journey that is, you know, 
unfolding, continually unfolding. Um, so I think I'll stop uh, talking there and just um, you know ask for your comments or questions or you know if anything was unclear or if something came up that you'd like to uh, reflect on. I often find it's easy to be aware of what's going on in my body, but I find the hard part is to not to identify with it. So what ends up happening is I may not like what I see, so it ends up snowballing. So, for example, like if I'm stressed or upset or anxious about whatever's going on, then I become stressed and anxious that I'm stressed and anxious. Yeah. So, so. But, I, but I know it's because I've begun to identify with it, with it all. Right. So this is so important, what you're, what you're saying here, because, you know, as, as we become more present, we begin to really see those driving energies, you know, the, the habits of judgment, the habits of, you know, anxiety, and, and we, you know, like, um, uh, it's, you know, Joseph Goldstein said, you know, um, it's, when we're, when, as we become more mindful, you know, we see more, and it's not always a pretty picture. You know, we don't always like what we see. So, uh, so it's really important that we not judge. You know, um, mindfulness is not a, an attention which is not judging. You know, we think that we should be perfect. We think that we should be. Um, without jealousy, without you know irritation, without judgment, without desire, you know, in a in a kind of grasping way, um, and so you know because of those beliefs, you know, then we judge what happens in the mind. But actually, it's just a human mind. It's just a human mind. So when we see our minds. You know, and we're just seeing the human condition. And so what, the way we work with this in the body is that we notice. Okay, look at this mind, you know, a, a thought comes up, uh, you know, which is judging, let's say. You know, a thought comes up which is judging. Um, and and then we start judging the judgment. But, but just turn toward the initial thought of judging which came up turn toward that and ask yourself what is the experience of this in the body where do I feel this in the body you know like what is this what is this because we are body mind the body and mind are not it's not they're they're interconnected so if we're if something is happening in the in the mind, it's happening in the body. So judging comes up. That's a kind of aversion. You know, it's a kind of a I don't like this. Uh, it's no good. 
I'm, if that's not me, you know, separate, it's out there, you know, I don't want that. Um, and so, what's happening in the body? And so, when I bring non judgmental awareness, investigation into the body, okay, you know, the, there's a clenching around the heart, there's a tightness. My jaw is tight, you know. My brow is furrowed, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what would be your what would be your body experience, but that it you know, and then just be with that. You know. So let me just bring l- let me practice mindfulness of a clenched heart. Let me practice mindfulness of a furrowed brow. Let me practice mindfulness of a clenched jaw. But what if you don't? What if you don't like what you're seeing or feeling? Like, let's say I don't know, um, you start having feelings of anxiety, and you feel the palpitations, and you don't like like it's it's you're you're trying to push it away because you you're aware of it, you feel it, you know where it is in the body, but you don't like what you see or feel, and you're trying to resist it, which. Yeah. So that's what's coming up is the resistance. Resistance, right. Right. So turn toward the resistance. What is that? What is that resistance? And and, and where do I feel it in the body? Does it feel like a, you know, kind of an energetic wall I'm putting up? Don't want that. You know, or just what is it? Because it will be expressing itself energetically in the body in some way. You know, and so the practice is to just open to it. Just open to what is. Just, I don't need to make it go away. It's not that I'm trying to become a perfect person. You know? And freedom is not about being perfect. It's about accepting it. It's about... Uh, it's about, yeah, it's about knowing, being aware, accepting, and seeing. And when we have that capacity, when we have that stability of awareness, we see into the nature of it. So the insight into the nature of it is that it is impermanent, it's unsatisfactory and it's selfless it's not me that resistance that judgment that anxiety it's not a self it's not who I am it's just the weather system passing through right now yeah it's really important you know um, kind of question about how to practice with this it's uh, yeah the body is really our ally in our practice any other um, thoughts questions comments experiences yeah it's the same thing I imagine when you feel that you are uncomfortable with someone Mm Because the easy reaction is you don't like the other person. 
but the thing is, it's that you don't like the feeling that you have in front of that person. Right. So I imagine that you have to to learn how to how to I don't know how to say it in English how to oh, deal. To deal. <laughs> you have to learn how to deal with this feeling. And I suppose that when you're, you will be able to deal good with the feeling, you will not have a bad thought about that person. Right. So, th so that's right. I mean, it's, <clears throat> so it's a, um, I, I, I used that example earlier about how I, you know, how I, when I was feeling that I should like somebody or I should be with them. So in life, sometimes we, um, we need to be with certain people. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, there are family, there are co-workers, there are our um, neighbors, you know. Uh, we have somehow uh, connections. You know, and we need to be with people in our lives, and so, so that um, that quality of, you know, you put it very well. Uh, it's not that it's it, what we don't like is the feeling that we have when we're with the person. You know, um, now it may be certain behavior we're uncomfortable with. It may be, it may be many many things, you know, um, and so there's discernment about, you know, um, how to be with this person, maybe how to make them feel more at ease, and so on. But then there are people that we don't need to be with in our lives, that maybe we have habits of being with. Um, and, you know, I used to work in a university, and I was with a lot of young people uh, in their, you know, in their 20s, early 20s, uh, practicing meditation, and becoming more self-aware, becoming more aware of the, the things that drove them to do things that created suffering for themselves and for others, addictive behaviors, and so on. And they often began to realize, you know, I'm actually not that comfortable with a lot of the behavior of the people I hang around with. You know, there's a lot of drinking, you know, uh, a lot of gossiping and speaking badly about people, you know, and so I, I'm not, you know, so then there's a choice, like, you know, do do I still want to be with these people? You know, I mean, maybe we can work with them. Maybe we can speak our truth. But but there's something that often happens in Dharma practice: what some relationships drop away, uh, others new ones are formed, and on, and it's it's actually an important part of our practice to have a sense of community with people that are um, sharing 
this journey, you know, of facing the hard stuff, you know, uh, becoming more honest, more um, uh, more authentic, um, more kind. Uh, so, so yeah, so so we 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 have choices in some relationships and in other relationships there's there's a, a you know there's a uh, commitment that we need to find our way through just yeah just to mm-hmm. yeah. but um, I suppose that learning how to deal with this situation without running away <laughs> mm. is maybe um, um, as you say um, it's a way to uh, to be to learning about himself and to <coughs> to learn how to accept things. Right. It's it's there's so many ways of practicing with it. Uh, with there are so many ways of practicing and so many ways that we can decide. You know, we can decide this is my old friend. I've known this person since I was in high school. We went through so much together, and I just love her, and I'm going to stay her friend, even though I'm more and more uncomfortable with a lot of her behavior and things she does, and, but, you know, or and, I, I love her, you know, so, uh, and I, you know, I can learn to be with my own discomfort, and maybe I can find a way to be with her, but And then there are other relationships that we just think this this just doesn't this feels toxic this feels this feels unhealthy I I feel like it's just not good. It's a balance. Yeah, it's a balance. Yeah. Um, in the same vein, is that uh, for me what's difficult in, in that the situation like you were saying is a very good example of a, uh, an old girlfriend, an old friend. Uh, is the is the judgment part, you know, because you're not at ease sometimes because of you know they do this that way or they react that way and you think it's not very nice and so it's hard to to not see that. You see what I mean? It's, it's hard not to. It's so obvious sometimes, you know. Uh, you want still to you still love them, but it's hard not to judge at the same time that that's not good. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying compassion, but it's like there's still that little, you know. Yeah. Why the hell do you do that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> usually it's because it makes them feel good somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. For it's them it's, good. it's true. Yeah, it's that's, it's that's a good point. It's usually like when we our behavior, even our unskillful behavior is coming from a place of wanting to be happy. So, so you know, even like even somebody who steals something, there's there they have a, a mistaken idea that somehow it's going to make them happy. Mm-hmm. You know, so so a lot of the you know, you we could say perhaps all of the unskillful behavior that we 
that we ourselves do (laughs) and that we see around us is coming from actually a place of wanting to be happy but it's 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 just it's a mistaken idea you know and 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 in fact it it often will create more unhappiness Mm -hmm. because you know because if you get irritated probably other people get irritated at that kind of and so she feels perhaps distance but maybe doesn't really acknowledge it and yeah mm-hmm. so there's all it's a whole yeah. a whole pattern that's that's coming out so but isn't that judgment as well when we see that not necessarily the judgment is a kind of a separation judgment is a mind which says that's not me that's that's somehow bad or you know that's uh, I you know I'm not like that you know but when we but when we acknowledge that yeah I understand you know I do other things like that which are sometimes difficult you know cause difficulty for others then that's more understanding empathy compassion you know Yeah. Well, you can know that it's it's not skillful behavior. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference. You could use the word discernment. Discernment, discernment yeah. is is something that we use in ethics when we say, "Oh, that's unskillful. That's mm. that's skillful." Mm. Adelia. I have a difficult time sometimes with people like you're saying that you have to keep in your life their family or their really important people but if they hurt me in certain ways and I will forgive them and I will say that to myself and I will meditate on it but then if they do something like that again in the future I'll think back and be like wow this is the fifth time they've done that so it wasn't really forgiveness or else I wouldn't be bringing it up to myself again and I don't know how to like get down to the root of it so that it no longer affects me if they continue doing the same pattern repeatedly. I'm not tallying it up. It's just like, that's just what they're doing. (laughs) And that's okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 maybe, maybe you're expecting too much of yourself. You know, that you, that you shouldn't feel in something if, if, if somebody has a you know a way of speaking which is hurtful or demeaning or something and and then you know that we wouldn't feel hurt you know but i mean but you know we can say okay you know i'll, I'll i feel it but you know well then we have a choice we can either respond you know and say that hurt, <laughs> or we can not, you know, or, or, and, and we also have the choice if, if, you know, even people who are our family, if, if it's too, uh, if it's abusive, that we can say, I can't be with you, you know, I can't be with you because you're, you're acting abusive toward me, and I, I care about myself too much to subject myself to that repeatedly if you know if there's no commitment from you to change so it's yeah it's um 
it's not one thing, you know. It's something to be discovered within yourself. Um, this is very much an ongoing, and I'm assuming it's going to just continue to be an ongoing thing, but a little bit related. I realized at one point when the current behavior kept being hurtful as a family member, <laughs> and one of the things I noticed about it was disappointment in myself. I was disappointed in me that I had not gone beyond being hurt. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I remember just thinking, okay, I don't need to be that complicated. <laughs> it hurts. Be with it. Look at it. Ah. Yeah. And it's something that you say often, and at one point it finally penetrated on one little tiny thing. Can I be with it? You know, trying to be with something without an expectation of outcome. And the expectation of outcome was that the behavior wouldn't come back. Right. Either from the other or from me. Right. And when I was able to just say, okay, there it is, there's the hurt. It's, um, and what you were talking about being involved, knowing what that feels like and not getting hooked into disappointment or whatever, I'm beyond this or itself. Yeah. Knowing that I've been meditating for an awful long time, why am I still having these reactions? Yeah, <laughs> expectation of outcome, you know, like, yeah. and and so that's where really the embodied wisdom has been. Well, it's not wisdom yet, but the embodied part of it, just to be able to say, oh, hurt, yeah, and you can be with it more because well, it's just what that it is. is. The wisdom, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, but a lot of it is self too. I was so disappointed in myself for continuing to have the. The feelings. Yeah. It's like they're just there. Right. That's right. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not enlightened yet. Oh, yeah, really? You know, <laughs> come on. Didn't that happen yesterday? <laughs> but even enlightened, you know, the, the Buddha, the Buddha, um, when the Buddha heard that one of his, you know, closest students had died, well, he, he cried. He cried, and uh, and then there's also a story of um, D.T. Suzuki, who was a Zen master and uh, one of the early Zen masters in California, brought Zen to North America, and he had a relationship. Um, his uh, uh, there was this woman. I. Th I I, I'm not exactly sure how it goes, but it was this woman who um, had started off being his assistant, and and then eventually they they got married, and and uh, and they they were just so uh, you know the 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 offering of the uh, San Francisco Zen Center was uh, really very much something that you know they they offered together. It was she was very much a part of it, and and then she died, and. Um, and uh, and D.T. Suzuki, you know, he, he cried. He experienced a lot of grief. And, um, and one of his students said, why are you crying? I thought you were a Zen master. <laughs> and, 
and 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 Suzuki answered, um, "The tears are coming, but they have no roots. The tears have no roots." So, so I I, I love that. Uh, it means a lot to me, uh, the way he expressed that. Like, the grief is there. The 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 sense of loss is there. You know, uh, the the this. You know, the the person that I love, and that I connected that love with, is there. It, it you know that person is not there anymore, and so so there's a a kind of a, this quality of loss. Um, and yet, I, at the same time, I know that somehow I am not uh, diminished, uh, that it's not about me, that it's an experience, that doesn't, that somehow I don't have to fix this, or um, uh, it's just something that's part of life that's happening and that can be received and um, and we'll move through there's a there's a poem by Rumi which you know I often end up reading because you know we talk about this stuff um, called The Guest House Are you familiar with this poem anybody? Yes. yeah yeah it's a, it's a lovely poem but it uh, certainly bears hearing again. Rumi is a uh, 12th century, I think, Persian poet, uh, Sufi scholar and uh, mystic. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still... Treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Each one has something to tell us about who we are, what it means to be a human being. And there's no need to feel that any, any experience uh, needs to be shut out. But there is a discernment that we develop which leads to suffering and which leads to happiness and peace.
I think that when you know, um, experience great loss or great grief, um, there's a beauty in that. I mean, the beauty in that is the fact that the opposite of it is that there was great love. Mm. Yeah, so true. Mm. So true. I mean, yes. there, that, that there was a deep love it, is... It is beauty. Yeah. To me. And so, you know, you get both. Right. And, and to love is a risk. Yes. To and love is a risk because uh, it, if we love, then we will lose. Because we will be separated from those we love, by distance or by death, you know. And um, and so, so when we when we accept the the risk, uh, when we're fearless enough to love um, wholeheartedly, then uh, we're already accepting that there will be loss and grief. And. So, um, so thank you for that really lovely discussion, um, exploration. So I'd like to uh, invite us to, to take a, a little walk outside in the park. Um, and uh, we're going to do that for a half an hour. Does everybody have a timepiece, a watch, or a, a cell phone or something? Cell phones on airplane mode, please. <laughs> and I'd like uh, I, I'd like you to please stay in silence. Um, so, so we're going to uh, alternate between two different kinds of meditation as we go outside. So, one part of it is just being present in the body, open to the senses. So there's hearing, there's touching the ground with our feet, feeling, feeling the flow of sensation in the body. So you can walk fast, you can walk uh, you know, very slow. You don't have to do the, the kind of meditative walking, formal meditation going back and forth. Just, you know, walk around the park, you know. Um, you can look around you so you don't need to keep your eyes down. Just, and then, and then stop. Just stop for a moment and look. Look at something. Um, could be a tree. Could be a child playing. It could be you know, a family, a mother or a father, you know, with their child. It could be the dogs and playing in the dog park. And just, um, just open to that experience and ask yourself, how do I feel? How do I experience this? How do I take this in in my body? So what is the, the quality that I'm experiencing in, in my body? So... So it could be it could be joy, you know. It could be uh, we might see somebody who's uh, who's struggling, you know, in some way. Uh, it could be compassion. Um, it could be 
we might have another experience that might come up. We might we might feel jealous. You know, we might look at somebody and you know, holding hands. You know, a couple holding hands and think, you know, I don't, I'm not in a relationship right now. Oh, I wish I were, and feel jealous. You know, how do I feel that in my body? So, um, whatever, whatever's coming up, might be. It might be annoyance at uh, a sound or a barking dog or a screaming kid, you know. How do I feel that in my body right now? So let's be back here at um, 25 after 4. It's uh, unsatisfactoriness, or right. the unfulfilling, the inability of anything that we experience through the senses to give us a sense of fulfillment or satisfaction, and it's not self. So right, okay. Not self. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.